Well, today most of us probably don't write uh, too many letters with pen and ink, as we've just heard uh, John did, 3 John. Um, Can you remember the last letter you wrote with pen and ink? Probably, okay, there's some people feeling good, I've done that, well done. I tend to send emails, but when I, you know, special occasions, I will actually write. Some of us write uh, Christmas cards, and uh, whether it's out of laziness or out of love and goodwill, who can say? But you could do a round-robin letter, so that um, you only write it once, but you print it uh, 10,000 times and give it to... My sister writes outrageous ones, uh, uh, sort of lying about her children. Uh, yes, my second daughter's just become a brain surgeon. And <laughs> what? But uh, she, she holds other people in such contempt, I think, uh, because of theirs that are sort of bragging rights. Um, but actually, most of the New Testament letters were like that. So I don't mean about the bragging rights and untrue. But uh, they were sort of round robins. They were sent to uh, a church and indeed were meant to be circulated round lots of different churches. Now, 3 John that I've read, the third letter of John, not the third chapter of the epistle, uh, of the gospel. 3 John is not like that. It's a short private letter to one person. It's the equivalent of Paul's one short letter to Philemon, a slave owner, and he's writing about uh, a slave. It's a private letter. Those are the only two private letters in the Bible, in the New Testament. So Philemon and 3 John. Most were to be read by whole churches, but this is for a guy called Gaius. He was probably a church leader, maybe in Ephesus. Gaius was a very popular, uh, common Roman name, which means rejoicing. So that's rather nice. And John says to him in verse 1 that he loves him in the truth. And of course that could mean two different things. Uh, Probably it means both. First of all, it means he truly loves him. It's an authentic feeling that he has. I really love you, mate. But secondly, that they are united in the truth. And of course, Jesus called himself in in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he keeps referring to the truth, and you get that sort of double meaning through his letters as well as through the gospel. And then he says in verse 3, Nothing makes him happier than seeing that his friend Gaius is walking in the truth. It's a bit of an odd phrase, isn't it? Walking in the truth. I mean, you could have walking in the rain or in the park, but what's walking in the truth like? Well, the Greek word there, I know I love showing off a little bit of Greek every so often, but uh, it's peripateo. If you have a patio, it's where you walk, pateo, and peri is about. You walk about in the truth. What does that mean, really? I I, I assume it's to do with uh, Gaius' behaviour. His words match his actions. 
Our strapline for St Francis Church is life with God. Not just Sundays, life. Not just sharing our faith, but life. Not a set of private beliefs, but all of life. So how we walk means how we do life with God and with other people. Can we walk the talk? And then John in verse 5 gives Gaius a concrete example of what that means for him. Gaius has cared for people who are complete strangers to him. And there's another Greek word he uses for stranger, which is xeno, X-E-N-O. And we get the English words xenophile, someone who loves strangers, and, of course, xenophobe, which is to fear, phobic, fear or hate strangers. And that phrase reminds me of other passages in the New Testament. In Romans 12, 13, uh, Paul writes, Share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. I think practice sounds like you're not doing very well, you you need to practice it uh, until you get it right, of really showing people how much they're loved and welcomed and valued. In Hebrews 13, it even says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, same word, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. That's a reference back to Abraham right at the beginning of Genesis who entertained angels. I think that means uh, that he gave them food rather than that he did a juggling act. Um, But it's actually caring for people who you don't even yet know. And then he found out there were messengers from God. It reminds me of what Jesus says in Matthew 25. I was a stranger and... And what? You invited me in. And then he says, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. It wasn't him, but it felt like it. And he said, I'm going to credit that to you as if it was me. What you did for someone else, I'll put that on the tab, you did for me. Really strong words. So in verse 6, John, who's writing the letter, says, I've heard how really loving and kind and generous this guy, Gaius, has been to strangers. He's never met them before. But because of loving the truth, he cares for them. And he says, go and send them on their way with a blessing. Whether that's a doggy bag, I'm not sure. But in some tangible way, they'll know, we're so glad we came here. Well, who were these people Gaius welcomed so kindly? Actually, the early church had lots of people who were evangelists and missionaries, people who were itinerant ministers. Um, They were peripatetic. They were people walking about, talking and sharing their faith, leading people to Jesus and planting and shaping and encouraging new churches. So there were lots of them then. And then we suddenly have a contrast 
in verse 9 in the letter because he says in verse 9 that John wrote to the church but this other person, Diotrephes, will have nothing to do with these evangelists or prophets who are visiting or missionaries. He won't let them be welcomed in the church. In fact, he goes on to say the astonishing thing he not only won't welcome them, but if someone else in the church chooses to say, well, you can come and stay with us. You're obviously homeless, but trying to share your faith. If someone does that, Diotrephes kicks them out of the church. It's a bit like Leviticus, second degree separation. Not only is that unclean, but you who do that sort of thing are unclean with it. It's a really hard line of not welcoming what a wally. <laughs> we know he's the baddie in the story, obviously. So what might be the reason for Diotrephes not welcoming them in the church? Just have a think. Why might another church leader not allow... And they're so hostile, they won't even let other people meet these people. Um, so the options, it seems to me, might be Diotrephes is a bit insecure and he thinks these people who are visiting are actually more gifted than him and so he's scared of losing popularity and he feels embarrassed or insecure over it. I remember in my childhood sometimes uh, there was an, an American evangelist came to Guernsey and for a while it seemed to me that all the other local leaders started speaking with a slight American accent. You know, you're trying to catch the blessing there. So maybe Diotrephes is just a, a, an insecure person at that level. Um, or is he afraid that they're teaching a dodgy theology, dodgy doctrine? The thing is, truth without love is not the truth. I believe that. Truth without love is not the Jesus way of doing it. So even there, even if there was a heresy or he was uncomfortable with their emphases, there is something wrong. Maybe he's afraid, thirdly, that they might do things differently. A church members don't like people messing up the services. I know later on we've got the 11 o'clock multiplex. There'll be some people who don't come to the service because they know I've messed it up for them. I know a lot of churches where they have a lot of baptisms and uh, it feels like, oh no, the great unwashed are coming in, messing up our service. And I've had, not rows, strong conversations with Christians who I know love Jesus and will pray for an evangelism. But here comes a load of non-Christians and they can't be nice to them. I don't really understand it. Here's your big opportunity to show how lovely Christians can be. Even if uh, these people come in and are sort of looking for the ashtrays and sort of knocking things over and, and don't really know what's going on. For goodness sake, what are we here for? It's to bless God and to welcome others. So 
if occasionally we're disrupted, I think we've got to roll with it and trust God and love people. But that's what I think. You can have a conversation over coffee if you disagree. But what is the reason? I think the clue might be in the very words John uses. The answer might be in the text of all places. He describes him as Diotrephes, who loves to be first. It's a pride issue. That's how John sees it. In our first reading from Philippians chapter 2, just before going into that amazing hymn uh, about Jesus, his, his birth, his humiliation and his exaltation, Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I find that terribly challenging because I've lived quite a lot of my life (laughs) doing selfish ambition. I'm quite good at it, really. Uh, Or vain conceit. And, of course, if we're doing a holy thing, we can pretend it's for the Lord when it's not at all. It's for our aggrandisement and Fortunately, God probably approves of it. But the motivation is all wrong. He goes on, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, looking to the interests of others. I find that so incredibly challenging. It's so brilliantly well expressed. So before we get completely depressed, there is another guy, Demetrius. And in verse 13 he says... Um, this Demetrius is just great. He's walking in the truth. He's doing all the right stuff. So it feels like there is a a choice of how we respond to others. And he says, uh, John writes in verse 12, so don't imitate evil, but good. Don't copy the unkind Christian behaviour. Be like Demetrius. Don't be like Diotrephes. And so, just in closing, I've called this uh, on our uh, rota for today, the the sermon, Two Attitudes. Paul writes in Philippians 2, have the same attitude in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the very nature of God, didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Nothing. He gave it all, such ridiculous generosity to his enemies, to the stranger. Two different attitudes. So as a little checklist, um, here's some thoughts. Um, Diotrephes doesn't support missionaries. He doesn't welcome them. Do I? Do we we pay for, are we glad that our church gives last year uh, £18,000 plus to help other agencies and missionaries doing God's work? I love the fact that we're part of other people's ministry because we support it. That's a Demetrius rather than a Diotrephes. Of course, the supreme example in the Gospels of giving it away, is Jesus washing feet. I mean, when we don't often 
wash someone's feet, maybe when they're very young or when they're very old. But most of us in our society prefer to do the washing than to be washed, probably, because there's a humiliation, maybe, in our culture. But serving people who can never repay, that's such a Demetrius, it's such a Jesus thing. I want to invite you to think, um, whose feet could you wash this week? And it might be you just give a phone call or you pray for them. But in what way are you serving someone? Paul also talks about um, being interested in what others are doing in their lives. I'm an enthusiastic person, I can't help it. And often when I'm talking to people, I start blurting out random facts about my life. I know it irritates people. But it's because I'm enthusiastic. But actually, if someone never asks you a question, oh, how's that going for you? I mean, it doesn't mean we don't share our own lives ever. But actually, have you been in a conversation where the person actually is just waiting for you to breathe? They don't want to know your story. So taking an interest. Are we good at listening to other people? Uh, And finally, I'm going to land it with this one, uh, because it seems to me really it's on my heart at the moment. How do we treat the stranger, asylum seekers? I find this a ridiculously complicated question, uh, beyond my pay grade. I don't quite know how to respond. But I did, in my Friday email, invite people to consider. Uh, there's quite a number of members of our church have expressed quite a strong opinion on this. And I thought, well, I, we won't write a letter from the church because I couldn't write on behalf of everyone. But I'd like to invite you to consider and I'll just say the things that are in my mind, that we recognise, if you are going to write to John Glenn, for example, our Member of Parliament, who's a a godly man who loves Jesus, how do we help him do a good job and say what we think should be happening? I think we should recognise that politicians face many difficult, complex choices, but that we are concerned for how we treat asylum seekers that we want to stop dangerous channel crossings by people smugglers. Many of us would recognise the distinction between economic migrants and those who are at risk of persecution, torture or death in their home country. But the asylum system is so slow. It takes so long for people to be processed. But false claimants should be repatriated swiftly. Justice delayed is justice denied. I'd love it if there were more safe legal routes to be established for genuine asylum seekers. Ask that dehumanising inflammatory language is avoided when we discuss it because it's already so incredibly loaded and complicated. And to assure John Glenn that we pray for him, I, I pray for him very regularly. I would not want to be able to do his job. I couldn't do his job. But um, now some of you might feel, oh dear, Jean's gone all political. Well, yes, I have. But I could be wrong. That's just my thoughts. But if we don't engage with the political process, well, we're not doing life with God, I think. There are some things that we should be outraged about or uncomfortable and 
we're trying to support, not just criticise. What would Diotrephes do? What would Demetrius do? And I invite you to consider whether that's something you might want to respond to, but that's between you and God and John Glenn. Let's pray. Father, we recognise this is a complicated world and there are complex decisions and we don't always have all the facts, but actually that shouldn't be an atrophy for us doing anything. Lord, we pray that we'll know how to treat other people. We see that there are two different aptitudes. There are those who polarise and increase fear and hate. And there are those working towards reconciliation and peace with justice. God, would you help us to know how to treat other people and be living a Jesus-shaped life. In his name we pray. Amen.